that this is indeed the breathed out word of the Lord to us tonight. It was breathed out by the Spirit to the Apostle Paul, and now the Spirit breathes it out into our hearts and to our lives as well. And so it is indeed the living word of God. Verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's far the reading of God's Word. Let's again bow in prayer. Shall we pray? Dear Lord and, and Heavenly Father, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, Father. And uh, great indeed is your word. And we just praise you for an opportunity once again to open your word. Be with Pastor Bob as he brings um, the gospel to us this evening. And we just pray, Father, that you will open hearts and our minds that we will be uh, soil ready prepared to receive your word. That it will accomplish everything that you have in mind, for you are sovereign. We thank you and praise you for this, dear Father. All of this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior, alone we pray. Amen. And amen. I want to look at three things from this passage tonight. First of all, understanding the mystery. Paul uses the phrase, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. What is meant by that? How do we understand that mystery? Secondly, the revealing the mystery. And that is what Paul is doing in the, in the rest of that verse, where he was manifested in the flesh and so on. And then thirdly, we come back to the opening, which is great indeed, we confess. And so it's confessing the mystery. So understanding the mystery, revealing the mystery, and confessing. Con- understanding, revealing, and confessing. If, if you turn back with me for just a moment as, as we think about this word mystery, just go back with me to the 16th chapter of the book of Romans and, and we'll get a little insight from the Apostle Paul as to how this word functions, this word mystery in this text. At the end of Romans chapter 16, there is this beautiful doxology that closes out the book. And starting at verse 25, we read, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Notice how Paul describes the mystery there. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. When Paul uses the word mystery here in verse 16, he he doesn't mean by this something that is currently unknown. That's the way we might use the term in in modern Western society or even in our English terminology. 
But in the Greek, it, it has a different turn. It's not so much that which is still hidden. It's more the understanding as Paul describes it there in Romans 16. It was once hidden, but now we know. We know the mystery. Okay? It's not that it's mysterious, that it is unknown, but it is known to us. So what Paul is saying is great indeed, we confess, is that which is known to us in regards to godliness. That which at one time had been hidden, but is now revealed. That which was partial, but now has become a reality. Or as we understand it, as we've been going through the book of Leviticus and thinking about all the foreshadowing of Christ that is found in that book of Leviticus, uh, found in all of those sacrifices, found in all of that cleansing, found in all of those ceremonies, that's all pointing to Christ. But here in Leviticus, it, it's that shadow that we have. What Paul is saying is that which was once a shadow, that which we only knew as a shadow, that which we only had as a shadow, has now become a reality. This understanding of godliness, this understanding of salvation, and how salvation comes about not by the blood of bulls and goats, but comes about by the blood of the one who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is this mystery that was hidden, that wasn't fully revealed, but is revealed now. It's the way in which the, the book of Hebrews opens in chapter 1, right? That, that God who spoke by the prophets long ago has now spoken more clearly, more fully in his Son. So mystery is not, oh, when we're done with this passage, we're going to be left scratching our heads going, boy, I still don't have it figured out. Now, what, what Paul is saying is, this is what we have come to know. This is what the Lord, in His grace and in His mercy, by the work of His Spirit, has opened our eyes that were blinded by sin in order that we might see this glorious truth of who Jesus Christ is. Note as well that Paul says, great indeed. Great indeed. It's exceedingly great. Paul has a reason for choosing that particular language. Back in Acts chapter 19, in the same city to which he is writing now in Timothy, there was a riot. And in that riot, the silversmiths were, were uprising. And the cry was, great is Artemis. Great is Artemis. Great is Artemis. And the passage says they went on and on and on, shouting and shouting and shouting for hours. What Paul is doing is Paul is coming and he's saying, that's nothing. Artemis, Diane, is nothing. Great indeed is the mystery godliness. That which God has shown to us is greater by far. You, you can't even begin to compare. It's superlative. It is exceedingly great. It is beyond 
that which the pagans use to acknowledge their gods. Great indeed. And the word indeed inserted there means as a truth. Not as a falsehood, not as the fake that pagan deities are. Gods of wood and stone and gold and silver that cannot speak, that cannot talk, that cannot hear, that cannot see. Great indeed is the mystery of godliness. Because it is God's revelation. The one who is the living and true God. Timothy, the church is to be the pillar and the buttress of truth. And the core of that truth is the mystery of godliness. And Timothy, don't ever forget, don't ever forget how great this is. Now, go back and deal with the false teachers. Go back and deal with them. How can I deal with them? Because, Timothy, you have in your possession this great and glorious truth. And were it to be fully known, this is the text that deals with all heresy. This deals with it all. Nothing more needs to be said than what Paul is declaring here through the Spirit. This is what the Spirit has given to the Apostle Paul to say this is what we need to always be upon the foundation of. This is the pillar of truth that the church stands upon. And with this truth, every enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ, every false teaching is going to be dealt away with. Everyone. It makes it great indeed, doesn't it? This is how Paul is coming to Timothy as this pastor. And this is how the Spirit is guiding and directing Paul to bring this particular word to bear. So let's look at the hymn. Because that's the way it functions. It functions as a hymn. We, we miss much of what is going on here in the English translation in terms of the linguistics of the passage. But it takes nothing away from the truth. Don't, don't ever think that, well, we, we don't have the same linguistics, we, we miss the truth. That's not the way this works. We might, we, we might miss some, some nuances, but we're not missing the truth, brothers and sisters. That is clearly before us in this text. What is the mystery that has been revealed? Paul makes... Six points. One, he was manifested in the flesh. He, that is Christ. We're back to, are we not, John 1, 14, where we were this morning, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. In that incarnation, you see, we, we see the beauty of that which God is doing. We see the Emmanuel, God with us. But you see, that's, that's, that's an overarching statement. When we say, 
that, that he was manifested in the flesh. What does that mean? Well, it means, does it not, that he took on that human nature. It, it is that which Colin and Faith attested to. Yes, we profess God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Why is that so important? Because that reminds us of the purpose for which he came. Why is he in the flesh? He has come in the flesh to bear our sin. It's not just in the sense that he was born. He is born for a purpose, even as he stated. I'm born that I might lay down my life, that I might give my life as a ransom for many. So when we say the fact that he was manifested in the flesh, this revelation, this mystery of godliness, this mystery of our salvation, begins with this glorious truth that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Because no animal could bear our sin. All that Levitical stuff was only pointing to Christ. That's why John's utterance upon seeing Christ is, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it had to be in human flesh. Because God's judgment and justice demanded it. To pay for man's sin, only man could pay. And so in that, he was manifested in the flesh, becomes the whole of Christ's ministry and the whole of his obedience. We had that, for those of you in adult Sunday school, that, that, that wonderful statement of Dr. Machen upon his deathbed. So thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. That's this. That Christ was manifested in the flesh and he actively obeyed in his flesh. He fully met all the demands of God's law. He was like us in every way. Sin accepted. He is the perfect man of God that he might be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Second, Christ's resurrection. That's what's meant by vindicated by the Spirit. That phrase, vindicated, means stood right, testified to. What is, what is the testimony of the fact that the work of Jesus Christ is accepted? It is the resurrection. But who causes the resurrection? Jesus himself. No man takes my life from me. I lay my life down and I pick it up again. It is by his own spirit. Not small s. That he is raised to life. And there is vindication of that which he has done. It is God's stamp. It is his own testament. It is the spirit's testament. How do you deal with a resurrected Christ? Notice we don't argue this. Okay? That's the wrong approach. Well, let, let me go through and let's think about how we can argue it. We don't argue a truth. This is a truth. Christ is raised from the dead. You may argue against it, but I'm not going to argue for it because it's a truth. 
And I don't have to prove a truth. It's a reality. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It is by the resurrection that our faith, that our faith takes hold. That our faith has a ground. That grace, that faith has substance. That faith is based upon a truth. And the truth is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See why this becomes the pillar and the buttress of the church? Because it's all here. This is it. Third, Christ witnesses. He was seen by angels. The word angels, as it's used in the New Testament, means messengers. And in that way, we understand this in two ways, right? Every gospel account records the fact for us that angels testified to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the gospels also tell us that he appeared to the apostles and they saw and they witnessed to the resurrected Christ. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. You want to use heavenly witnesses? Got those. Do you want to use earthly witnesses? We have those. By the mouth of two or three, a thing is established. He was seen. This this resurrection of Christ is, is not some vapor. It's not some mist or myth, as Paul's going to take up into chapter 4. This is a reality. People saw the one who was manifested in the flesh, now risen from the dead. They testify to it. The word testifies to it. Fourth, there is the proclamation of Christ. He is proclaimed among the nations. Christ is preached. What a reminder to the church of Jesus Christ today to preach Christ. Absolutely. Do you know, sometimes in today's society, what you hear people say is, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. I don't see that. I hear proclaim Christ. In 2 Timothy, Paul is going to say to Timothy, hey, preach the word. See, we've become so, uh, I don't know quite the word to use, but we've become so simplified in the church today that it's like, well, let's just preach the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? Well, it's just a few basic tenets. And what Paul is saying here is, that's not what we do. We proclaim Christ fully, completely. Christ from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It is the word. And we preach the word. We preach Christ into this world. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is, this is our faith. This is the mystery of godliness. That we go into this world and we proclaim Christ unashamed. 
unashamed. Fifth, believed on in the world. Isn't that a marvelous thing? I mean, in, in the Old Testament, this was indicated, right? That he was going to be a light to the Gentiles and that the Gentiles would come to his light. And actually, when you read through the Old Testament, it is full of references to the fact that the one who was going to come was going to draw the nations to himself. By the time Paul writes this to Timothy, they saw the living evidences of that. It just... Just think about this. this. This person who is born in an obscure town of Nazareth that everybody thinks is unimportant is now the one who is being looked to as the savior from sin. Not a political Messiah but the spiritual Messiah that he truly was. And nations of the world are coming to faith. Gentiles from all over the world are believing on Christ. That is such an acclamation of truth. It's such a fulfillment of the prophecies. It doesn't take everybody to believe. Paul is saying, look about you. Look at the world. Look at who is coming. Look at the nations. Look at the tribes. Look at the people groups. Look at the people coming from all walks of life. Think about that. I was reading one of the commentators on this particular passage, and, and he noted the uniqueness of Christianity in this regard. That almost every other religion in the world remains in an ethnic group. Largely. Christianity is the true religion that spreads beyond tribes and nations. Think about it. There are more Christian believers in communist China than there are in the United States of America. Whoa! What an acknowledgement that he is believed on in the world. People from the wealthiest class to the poorest of class. People from somewhat the, 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 the most refined upbringings to those who have been raised upon the streets. To those of us, perhaps, who lived with parents that were wondering what was their sin. To those of us who look in the mirror and are all too familiar with the sin that we have committed. He's believed on in the world. It's a mystery of godliness. It was hidden there. But now Paul is saying it's been revealed. See, open your eyes. See what's happening. See what's taking place. See what's going on in the world around you. That's a good reminder for us. 
living in this day, in this generation, in this society, in this culture, in this country, in our own particular settings. We're kind of woe Oh, woe be us, woe be us, woe be us. Paul is saying, open your eyes. Christ is the one who is believed on in the world. And he is the one that the Spirit speaks to Paul and is saying, has been taken up in glory. His ascension. And what marks that ascension? All authority has been given unto me. Paul has a view of the rule of Christ. Ah, my friends, that we need to grab hold of. Most of us have been played into believing that somehow Christ does not rule today. You talk about a dismal effect upon the church of Jesus Christ. When Christ himself says, all authority and power has been given unto me. It's no wonder Paul was willing to go to the Gentiles. It's no wonder he's willing to go all around the world. It's no wonder he's willing to face persecutions. It's no wonder he's willing to face shipwrecks. It's no wonder he's willing to face famines and beatings and whippings. Why? Christ rules. Not Rome. Christ rules. And all the authority and all the power belongs to Christ. And it is Christ's authority over all. Over his church, as we have looked at in weeks past. Over us as believers, yes. But over all the nations of the world as well. Christ rules. Now and forevermore. We will not lose. We will not lose because Christ has already won. This becomes the hymn of the church. This is what the church in the midst of first century persecution is singing. This is what its statement of faith is. This is what it is grounded upon. And what Paul is saying to young Timothy is, now Timothy, take this. Take this truth. Go back to Ephesus and deal with the heresy that's going on there in Ephesus. And deal with those false teachers. I've given you, I've given you all the means to deal with this. And perhaps Paul has saved this as the most glorious that he has. The message of the mystery. Of godliness. But look at the text. Great indeed is the mystery of godliness. He's manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Great indeed, we confess. And that's what brings us to tonight. That confession 
this confession is that which we have witnessed tonight here. This is the responsibility, the responsibility of to make this good confession in all of its understanding, in all of its meaning. This is the confession. These vows that we have heard tonight from Colin and Faith as they presented Evan for baptism. Do you promise to teach? Teach what? Teach 1 Timothy 3.16. Do you promise to endeavor by all the means? Yes, we will do whatever it takes to teach our child the mystery of godliness. This is our confession. By word and by life. By not only by that which we say, but how we live. This is what each one of us has promised to do when we have brought our children here. We will do whatever it takes to teach them this mystery of godliness because this is what we confess. That's why having Colin and Faith join tonight and hearing those answers to each one of those questions comes back to this. This truth we come to this baptismal font. What does this baptismal font? That Christ, who is indeed the one who rules and reigns, has claimed Evan Noah as his own. What greater comfort could a parent have? And now you, Christ says, you teach. You teach this to your children. And part of the joy of the celebration of an event such as like this is because previously Colin and Faith's parents made similar vows and similar commitments. And their grandparents made it to their parents. And we have a collection of folks here tonight who are, who, whose families have made that commitment and have sought, have sought to fulfill the responsibilities of that vow. And when the church of Jesus Christ becomes filled with families who have that commitment, huh, the world will not contain the message of the mystery of godliness. Because you see, this is not only the confession of individual and of parents. It is also the confession of the Christian church. At least it ought to be. This is what the Christian church today needs to proclaim. We've been studying, and I'm sorry for the references back, but we've been studying in our adult Sunday school the, the formation of our denomination of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And it was formed almost based upon these glorious truths. Because it was part of a denomination that had drifted away. It had slipped away. It, it no longer made that good confession anymore. And it was time for those who, who, who understood the glorious truth here to say, no, the Christian church is part of it. And we'll leave all the pomp. We'll leave all the ceremony. We'll leave our big churches if we can but proclaim Christ. And we're thankful. 
we can be for those of denominations that are here represented of those in the past who have made those stands for truth. But that is what the church today needs to do. Take a stand for this truth. This truth. And to call people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But it also becomes the responsibility of every born-again believer. It's not just for families. It's not just for churches. It's for each one of us. As we leave this place, we go back to our work world. What happens to this mystery of godliness? What happens to these glorious truths? Do we hide them again? Do do we tuck them into our uniform at work and say, don't want anybody to know this? No, I'm, I'm going to take the mystery that has been revealed and I'm going to hide it. I don't want people to know that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Or we hide it not in that way, we hide it by our actions. Our actions are so ungodly, so unchristian, that people can't see or hear this truth. Because our lives are lived in such unholy ways. Or is it that we're scared and we lack the courage to live out the truths of the mystery of godliness. Well, there's challenges all around, is there not, brothers and sisters in Christ? Challenges for parents in this day and age, challenges for the church, challenges for each one of us as believers in Jesus Christ. But I would pray fervently, not only for myself as pastor, but for each one of you, and I pray that you would pray for your pastor, that you would pray for yourself, that you would have the courage to live out this truth. What truth? Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up, into glory. We can't see this on our own. See, that's part of the reason it's, it's a mystery. It needs revelation. And only God can do that. Only God can open our eyes. Only God can help us to see the truth. But if tonight... If tonight you can say, this is what I believe, Pastor, then I don't commend you. I thank God. I thank God for grace that was given to you, that was given to me. In fact, it's the same grace that was given to the Apostle Paul. It's the same grace that was given to Timothy. It's the same grace that is given to every single true believer in Jesus Christ. Not of ourselves, but by grace alone. And God's people